and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Nate. Today we're covering chapters 23 through the first half of 25. A saga. Yes, a lot of stuff happens. So let's jump right in. Where we left off, Tick had just sacrificed herself to save Boots. 23 starts with Rip Red herding the questers into a tunnel. They stop in a small chamber to regroup. Gregor sits by Temp with his back to the others and holds Boots's hand. He thinks about how if she had died, she never would have gotten to meet their dad. Gregor doesn't look at the rest of the group because he thinks they would have let Boots and the crawlers fall into the river. He also thinks about Tick's brave sacrifice and begins to cry. He makes a silent vow to never kill any roaches, even the small ones back home. Temp touches Gregor with a feeler and thanks him for weeping when Tick has lost time. Gregor starts to say that Boots would weep too if she weren't sick, but he chokes up again, and he's thankful Boots didn't have to witness Tick's death. The part the part of this that gets me the most is when Temp thanks Gregor for crying. He's like, literally, he's like, I know that people think we're such worthless bugs that I'm surprised and grateful that you care that your that my friend died. For like, real. It's fucking sad. And Gregor is the only one who's right. upset about this. Right. Yeah, even though even though everybody else is like worried, nobody's like, ah, oh, it sucks that Tick died. Yeah, no one else has anything to say about her and Luxa might be a little upset, but I think she's mostly upset because Gregor is upset. Right, yeah. Luxa comes over and puts a hand on Gregor's shoulder, but he jerks away. She assures him they would have caught Boots and the crawlers if they fell, and Gregor remembers the Underlanders don't worry about falling the way he does because they have their bats, which is foreshadowing for what happens with Henry and Gregor in a bit. Yup, I did not realize that at all. It's really, I guess we'll get to this later, but it's actually very karmic how Henry dies from falling after he fucking throws Boots off of the cliff into the bats. Like, haha, check this out. Yeah. He got... He got got in the end. For real. It comes up a lot, this idea that Gregor is afraid of falling and none of the Underlanders are because they have their bats and they can always trust the bats. And Luxa and Henry just leap onto their backs all the time and will jump off of things and expect the bats to catch them. And it's brought up a whole lot throughout the book and it's all just foreshadowing for what happens to Henry. I literally, I did not even realize that. I was just like, you're saying this, I'm like, wow, the themes, it emphasizes how different Gregor is from them. But it's it does, but also the foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely <sighs> that too. But it keeps reminding you throughout the book that there is this difference between Gregor and Henry's mm-hmm. view about falling, and then it becomes extremely relevant. Ah, uh, we... I'm just like, I'm trying to withhold all my thoughts until we actually get to that part of the chapter. Yeah, let's get there. (laughs) Luxa sits down next to Gregor, and when he notes she's not crying for Tick, Luxa admits she hasn't cried since her parents died, and then says... But I am thought to be unnatural in this respect. Which is is so, is so funny. First of all, she's just like, she's trying to calm him down. Like, don't worry, I'm weird for not crying. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry, it's not you, it's me. But then also just like, what does she mean by thought unnatural? Like, people obviously know that her parents, people in the underline obviously know, like, oh, she's been sad since her parents died. Yeah. So is she like, is she, are they just feel bad and she perceives it as them thinking that she's weird? Or is there actually like, everybody's like, the cruel, heartless princess who doesn't even weep when the rats get us. Like, what? what's she picking up on here? Yeah, I have always been really fascinated by the use of the word unnatural here. Mm -hmm. Because I think she's just saying, she's trying to tell Gregor, most Underlanders cry when we lose people we care about, and I am not crying because of trauma. Right. But... I think the specific way she words this, using the word unnatural, is interesting because it implies that she's thinking about the way that she's being perceived by everyone else. Right. Which, I mean, she is. Like, I bet she's always thinking about how she's perceived by her people because she's the queen. Right. But it's so interesting that she would, like, phrase it in that way. Maybe she's perceiving it, but it's like, Luke, so maybe they don't think you're unnatural. Maybe people get it. Yeah, I think when she uses the word unnatural, I feel like she's being kind of harsh on herself. Right, yeah. Like she's kind of judging herself for this. The narration says, 
He thought of how badly you had to be hurt to lose the ability to cry. He forgave Luxa everything at that moment. He even forgot why he needed to forgive her. Which is just so Gregor that he feels very strongly when he feels that he's been wronged and then he learns something sad about someone <laughs> and he immediately adjusts his view of them and becomes more sympathetic. First of all, Rip Red literally called it, which is why he's always dropping his tragic backstory. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows that he's getting like, charisma points um, with Gregor. And then the second thing that I was going to say, oh, that's a very mature attitude of him. Yeah. That, like, he's able to keep changing his opinions of people. Yeah, he's comfortable being like, oh, I forgive her and I am even going to forget why I was mad at her in the first place. Like, there's no reason to be mad. Gregor just has so much emotional maturity and emotional intelligence that he's constantly, like, able to incorporate new information about people into his view of them which like helps so much with everybody else's understanding with of the series because sometimes when one like gregor says things i'm like he doesn't need to lay out this whole process but it's like no you still need that narration to like tell younger kids who are reading this like what's going on so it's really it's cool that he like kind of needs to lay that out like the audience needs to know gregor is okay with this now yeah yeah it also is just a good juxtaposition to other characters Right. Like, Henry is, does not have this ability. Right. Henry does not have the ability to learn new things about someone and then change his view of them or change how he's acting towards them. And Luke's is kind of just now learning how to do that. Right. I feel like it's her struggle right now. Is yeah. That just, like, it takes her a while. Yeah. I'm thinking, we're going to have to talk about this more, but I've been, like, considering why Henry jumped and, like, why, not why Henry jumped, but, like, why Henry made the deal with the rats and why Luxa didn't. And I've been really trying to, like, pick out, like, when they grew up so similarly, mm-hmm. like, why are they so different? But we can... We yeah, can we, we're gonna have to talk about it, because I also have so many thoughts about Henry's betrayal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We gotta... We'll get there. Yeah. Luxa tells Gregor that if she doesn't make it back to Regalia... He should tell Vicus she understood why he left them with Ripred to protect them, which is kind of what we were just talking about. Like, at first, Luxa was kind of with Henry and being like, we hate Vicus now because he left us with a rat. And now Luxa is learning that Vicus did that for a reason. And even if it was kind of shitty, she understands now what he was trying to do. And she wants Vicus to know that she's sorry for how she acted. Right. And Henry would never say that. Yeah, I don't think Henry would ever admit that. Gregor promises he will, and the two of them give Boots another dose of medicine before moving on. Gregor assumes Ripred won't care about Tick, since he's probably seen lots of creatures killed, but Ripred isn't snarky when he tells Gregor his father is nearby. But they need to be extremely cautious and not make any sound. Gox spins slippers for everyone out of silk so their feet don't make noise as they walk. Best. (laughs) Yeah, I always forget that she does that. Gregor's flashlight fades, and he replaces the batteries with the last ones he has with him. Luxa says the torchlight won't last long either, but the bats will be able to get them home in the dark after they find Gregor's dad. As they walk, Gregor feels hope flowing through him at the thought of seeing his dad again. When the group reaches a bend in the tunnel, two rats spring out of the darkness to attack, and Ripred kills them both in a flash. The narration says, No one else had had time to raise a hand. Ripred's defense confirmed what Gregor had suspected the first moment he looked in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Even among rats, Ripred was lethal. Love that. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ripred wipes his muzzle on one of the dead rats, which I think is just a weird detail. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. That's like, you know that post about Supernatural... Where it's like two guys are watching Sam and Dean at the fire. Hang on, I was thinking about this. <laughs> hang on, I was I was thinking about this last night because I was thinking I was thinking if I went to jail and someone tried to fuck with me because I'd been on my anti-anxiety meds for three days, I was like I could beat them up and then I would wipe the blood off on their clothes because that would look so chill and badass. That reminds me of that one supernatural episode where Sam is warming his hands over a fire that they're burning a body, and that in turn that's what Rip Red's doing here. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Your train of thought is 
just off the rails. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> oh, that's so wild. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, that is a very weird detail. I mean, I guess if you don't want blood on your muzzle, you gotta wipe it. Right. Maybe he's just very persnickety. Like he just likes to be clean. Yeah, I know rats in real life are pretty clean. Oh, that like pet rats. Right. He explains those rats were guards, and in the open space up ahead, the group will have to walk single file against the wall because the ground is unstable, and it's a long fall down. Then he adds, quote, It's all right. Remember, I'm on your side. Which is reassuring. Yeah, and but also it's one of those things where it's like, why'd you have to say that, man? Yeah, <laughs> really? <laughs> They walk a narrow path along the side of a canyon, and when Gregor shines his light into it, he sees nothing but blackness. So this is where Henry will later fall. Yes. They make it across to solid ground, and they move quickly down a wide road that's been worn smooth by many rat feet. The path ends at a circular pit 50 feet deep with perfectly smooth walls. At the bottom, Gregor sees what he at first thinks is a rat, but when the creature lifts its head, Gregor recognizes what's left of his dad. Yep. For some reason, I missed the fact that the pit is 50 feet deep. Yeah, wait. How do they- they fly down there, right? Yeah. Okay. Is this the same pit that Rip Red ends up in? I don't think it's the same one, but okay. it's the same type of pit. So it's it's probably a prison built for rats, and they're keeping him in there. Yeah. Because it's also pretty effective for humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 50 feet is a long drop. Yeah. Like, How did- I was picturing Gregor looking over the ledge, and his dad is like, I don't know, like 12 feet down or right. whatever. Which is just like... But kind of far, but you can make out their face. Yeah, but this is a long way. Yeah, I just love that at first he thinks it's a rat, and then it's his dad. Yeah, so that's the end of chapter 23. Chapter 24 starts with this quote. The man who had disappeared from Gregor's life two years, seven months, and who knew how many days ago had been the picture of health. Strong, tall, and vibrant. Energy had seemed to pour right out of him. The man squinting up at them from the pit was so thin and weak, his attempt to stand failed. He fell on all fours, then lifted one hand to help tilt his own head back. Ugh. Which is just devastating. The part of that sentence that got me was when Gregor says the exact years and months, but then he stopped counting the days, and it's like, oh, he really... He really did think he was going to find his dad because yeah. he stopped counting. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's hard to count the days in the Underland, too. Right. But yeah, that always gets to me that by this point, he has lost count of the days after two years, seven months, and however many days of counting every single day. Right, right. Like, this is him finally. It really puts into perspective just how long Gregor has been living with this like absence mm -hmm. but then this is also where gregor's fantasy of having his dad back and everything going back to normal just shatters right that one part where he's like he realized he thought he would have a parent again or yeah he... i have that quote too oh excellent yeah so luxa and henry fly down help gregor's dad onto aurora's back and carry him out Gregor tries to talk to his dad, but he just replies, It's the fever. I'm seeing things again. So this is not the grand reunion Gregor was hoping for. His dad is, like, seeing things and incoherent and doesn't recognize him. That's devastating. Yeah. <laughs> When he when when he says boots and his dad is confused, so he says Marguerite. Like he's still trying to like yeah yeah uh, help him understand. Gregor is like trying to tell him that he's really here and he brought boots too. And then Bo Gregor's dad is confused at boots, and Gregor corrects himself and calls her Margaret because they had been planning to name her Margaret after Gregor's great grandmother. And Gregor's dad is still confused, and then asks about his grandma who was called Margaret. Oh, like he can't even put the pieces together of like, oh, that's my daughter. Like, he's still thinking about his grandmother. Right. He knows his dad's change in physical appearance and how weak he is and how his hair has turned white. Gregor also realizes his dad is wearing clothes made from rat fur. Gregor's dad says he just wants to sleep, and the narration says this. This was the scariest part of all. 
Gregor had thought he would get a parent back when he found his dad. Then he could stop having to make hard decisions. He could just be a kid. But the man before him was even needier than Boots was. Rough. Like this whole time, Gregor has just been... I mean, he's been refusing to let himself think about the future. Right. But he also was kind of thinking, like, everything's gonna be better when dad's back and he's gonna, like, help with Boots because she's sick and he's gonna go back to work and we're not gonna... Mom is not gonna have to work all the time anymore and Gregor can go back to being a kid and then it hits him that his dad is, like, a prisoner of war right and will never be the same and has been like irreparably damaged like his health is never the same after this book right foreshadowing for the rest of the books when gregor realizes he can't be a kid again (laughs) yeah 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 it's already too late for gregor's childhood (laughs) doomed from the start suzanne collins is good at doomed from the beginning yeah (laughs) Luxa tells Gregor that his dad is just confused because he has a fever and that they have to fly now. She asks Henry to help secure Gregor's dad to Aurora with Gox's silk, but Henry is standing apart from the group, not helping. I remember right before this happened, I'm like, wow, they're having such an easy time getting Gregor's dad out of here. What an (laughs) anticlimax. Henry says, no, Luxa, we have no need to hurry now. And no one knows what he means except Rip Red. Except Rip Red. Who says, no, I believe Henry has taken care of everything. Of course, Rip Red recognizes immediately that Henry is a spy. Because Rip Red is a spy. That's so true. But he just puts it together so fast. And is uh, enough to say like confidently like, oh, I know what your game is. Like, I don't think there's the impression that he's picking up on clues or like putting things together. He's just like, oh, fuck. Or wait, no, that's how you... He's picking up on clues and putting things together, but he wasn't suspicious before. Yeah. Nobody was. Yeah, but looking back, like, as soon as he hears this, Rip Red is like, oh, all of Henry's behavior, like, makes sense. And this makes complete sense that he would be this idiot who betrayed (laughs) the humans to the rats. And I have more thoughts about this. Mm -hmm. But this read-through, I have been picking up on a lot of parallels between Henry and Rip Red. Ooh. And it's... It's fascinating. I've never noticed this before, but they're actually very similar in a lot of ways. Okay, na- name go name some. <clears throat> Hold on, we'll get to it. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> I'm very excited. Henry says, in response to Rip Red saying that he took care of everything, Henry had to. And we know he's evil because he's talking <laughs> in the third person. <laughs> He doesn't use third person at any right. other point. It's just this one time he's like, Henry had to. It's so snotty, too. He's like, yeah, I, I fucking do everything around here. <laughs> the spying, <laughs> the betrayal. <laughs> Someone had to. Yeah. He whistles loudly and Gregor demands to know what he's doing. Luxa stands completely still in shock as they hear a group of rats approach. Rip Red reveals that Henry is a spy for the rats, and Henry gives the following villain monologue. Yes. Sorry, cousin, but I had no choice. We were headed for disaster under Vicus. He would ally us to the weakest, when our only real chance of survival is to ally ourselves with those who are most powerful. We will join forces with the rats and rule together, you and I. Luxa replies calmly, not now, Henry. Not ever. Yeah, <laughs> that's devastating. Uh, I was thinking about Henry's motive the whole time now. Because mm-hmm. like when it first happens, it's so shocking that you're like, wow, Henry, I never would have expected it. But, and, but now I'm like, why did he do that actually? And it's so interesting to me that he says we need to ally ourselves with the strong instead of the weak. When, like, we're going to find out later that there's, like, more going on in the Underland than just humans versus rats. But literally their entire, their allies this entire time have been bugs who Henry just doesn't respect. And it's like, I would rather ally myself with the physically powerful people who killed my parents. Which is such a weird insight into his weird little mind. Like, it feels like it's a game to him. He's just like, we need to be strong. We need to have the higher stats. But it's like, bro, 
why do you want to be allied against the bugs that are helping you? Yeah, literally. Because I also am very confused by Henry's logic here. And I think the point is that he's just an asshole and it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. He's just like, he's just like so against the crawlers and the spiders that he doesn't care about the morality of the rats. Uh huh. He just like can't stand to be in the presence of the crawlers. Dang. Okay. I thought it was, I, th- I thought it was like he wants power so badly that he'll do some really shady shit to get it. Probably that too. Right. Yeah. But it's, but yeah, that, that combined. Yeah. Just has him make the worst decision and think that it's a great idea. Yeah. I think Henry is just really fixated on what he sees as power and strength. I think Henry represents a kind of like ableist almost like eugenics-y mindset. Yeah. We can't have any weakness, only the strongest, no matter how evil. And it's so interesting that Luxa does not have this view. She's much more calm and rational and willing to think things through, and she's a very powerful person. It's like, is Henry insecure? Is that why he needs power? Or does he just feel, is he just so proud of the power that he has Whereas Luxa just accepts it as something that she must like bear. Yeah. That he's like, no, I just need more power. I'm only, only people with as much power as me are worth my time. Yeah. I think probably Henry, I mean, this is just going to be like speculation about his character because we never really learn what he thinks about other aspects of his life. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think Henry must be in the company of Luxa constantly. Yeah. And Luxa is going to be the actual ruler. And so Luxa is thinking like about what Vicus tells her about. You need to consider all of these things when you're ruler someday. And Luxa is constantly thinking about what she means to her people and what she's going to have to be when she grows up. And Henry, I feel like maybe is looking at that. And because he isn't going to be ruler he's fantasizing about being ruler and only thinking about how much power he would have if he was in charge that makes so much sense and he's not being forced to think about how much pressure that would be or how much responsibility that is he's just romanticizing the idea of being in charge yeah i kind of forgot that like henry is not going to have the same kind of power that luxa has i I was kind of like yeah they're both like they're just kind of both presented as like it's the two brats from regalia yeah but actually their positions in life are very different and luxa's has a lot more responsibility yeah depending on who is older henry or nerissa if luxa died henry would take the throne i think that's how the family tree works out Uh uh-huh uh-huh. If Nerissa is older, then she would take the throne. And if Nerissa died, then Henry would get it. Uh-huh. But if Henry's older, like basically just if Lusa dies, Henry would be in charge. Right. So I think he's thinking about it. And okay. he's thinking like, maybe one day I'll have to be in charge if something bad happens to Luxa. Mm-hmm. But he's not, I don't think he's getting the same treatment from Vicus in terms of like, yeah. Luxa is getting all of these lessons from Vicus about how she needs to be responsible and think about all these different species and what they bring to the table and how to be a diplomat. And Henry, I think part of it's just his personality. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> he doesn't care about diplomacy and he doesn't care about anything besides just sheer power and strength. But he's also not being made to think about it the same way Luxa is because he's not in direct line for the throne. Right. That's And Vicus is so pragmatic. He's never like, maybe I should make sure that both of the kids I'm raising are like not going to do some <laughs> fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like also very much confused by how Henry can betray the humans to the rats when the rats literally killed his parents. Right. And that and betray Luxa and like in this scene he's willing to he says that he's willing to kill her she even though she doesn't agree with him she's not like she pretty much just goes quiet I was I went back and reread that part I was like does she get mad at him it does she seem like she'll fight him but she just like kind of freezes yeah she was not ready to kill him and he was ready to kill her yeah yeah she has no idea how to deal with that and because she never expected that from him they were so together in their anti-rat sentiments before Henry wanting to kill Rip Red and everything. Luxa is reading that as like, Henry just hates rats so much, but actually Henry is trying to sabotage the quest. Right. 
I think probably we aren't meant to look too deep into Henry's motives. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably just that he's this stuck up brat who wants more power or is afraid of losing power Uh or is afraid of the power that he has in his fighting ability and his strength not being worth anything. Uh Uh-huh. If he, like, if he acknowledges that the crawlers also have a kind of strength, then suddenly Henry isn't so strong anymore. Right, yeah. I think he is meant to represent a kind of, I mean, later books in the series get very heavy-handed with the Nazi metaphor. (laughs) Yes. And I think Henry is, like, the beginning of Uh that. uh Of, like, he doesn't want anything that he considers weak or bad or gross. He only wants the most powerful, the most strong, and anything else needs to be eradicated. So I think Henry is just, like, he's got this eugenics mindset. Yeah. That is really... a intro to the rest of the series when that becomes a major theme damn that makes so much sense yeah yeah i'm, I'm still not over the the mouse gas chamber and like the farthest <laughs> oh my god <sighs> yeah we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> so luke's tells Henry she won't join him, and Henry warns her that she must join him or die, and Luke just says this is as good a day as any, perhaps better. Fucking, I'm just picturing her wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the most metal hat. <laughs> no, just like, like she she just sounds like a person from like an old Western. Like, well, today is as good as any to die. Puts a little piece of straw <laughs> in her mouth. Like, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Damn. I feel like Henry spent so long like fantasizing about this moment and coming up with great lines, and Luxa just blows him out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) He's got this whole villain monologue prepared, and she's just like, perhaps better, like drops the mic, like. But like, how metal is that? How raw? Because we've already learned at this point that Luxa is just like ready to die at any moment, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't plan for the future at all. Like in the last episode, John and I talked about how Luxa is so traumatized from her parents' death that she has this idea of like, every day when I wake up, I tell myself that I'm going to die. And then when I get to bed, it's like, oh, I survived another day. Which Which is is just like how she gets through the day. Like that's her way of coping. So when this happens, she's like ready for it. She's like resigned. It's like she means that literally. She's like, yeah, God, yeah. When she says perhaps better, like this is as good a place to die as any, and like this is something worth dying over. She means it. God, that's intense. Henry's just putting it on. Yeah. The narration says about Luxa. She sounded a thousand years old and a thousand miles away, but she did not sound scared. Badass, but. But she's just associating so hard. I feel like like yeah. that's her. I feel like that's part of it too. Why like she doesn't confide to Henry about how like how struggling how much of a struggle this is for her and like how stressed she is because she's just like a stiff upper lip like mask person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just very resigned to whatever comes her way and this betrayal totally surprised her but as soon as it happens she's like okay this is my reality now like she doesn't get upset like you said she doesn't get angry at henry she's just like this is the fact of what's going on and if i have to die then i die but i'm never joining henry this might as well happen (laughs) yeah this might as well happen Ripred makes fun of Henry for believing that the rats would give him a throne, and Henry insists that they will, which is kind of childish. Mm-hmm. And he reiterates how he hates having cowards and weaklings like the crawlers and spinners for allies. He tells them the humans and rats will rule together. Ripred replies, Together, together, what a lot of togetherness you are planning, and what a lot of solitude awaits you. This is where I'll talk about the Henry and Ripred parallel. Okay. So I think when Ripred tells Henry what a lot of solitude awaits you, he's saying this because Ripred knows exactly what it's like to betray his species, to be a spy for another, and he knows how isolating that is. 
I literally, I thought he just meant we're going to put you in jail. But no. I think, damn. I think Rip Red is telling Henry, no matter what happens from here on out, you will always be alone. Because either you're going to be a human among rats or you're going to be a traitor among humans. No one will ever have you again. You're going to be alone. And Rip Red knows exactly what that is like. That's so sad and so interesting that Rip Red, like, instantly identifies with Henry. He doesn't sound regretful, but I feel like he is in somewhere in his heart. He's like, man, this kid's going to end up just like me. Yeah, which kind of comes back to when Rip Red is first introduced, he says something of like, be careful or you'll find yourself warming your shabby hide at the fires of your enemies. And you made a joke of like, that's the worst thing that's going to happen to Henry. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think that's what Rip Red... I think that was foreshadowing for like, Rip Red has done this exact thing that Henry is doing. And I think the only difference is that Henry is doing this to be evil and Rip Red is trying to be good by betraying the rats. Right. Like Henry's getting ready for more war. Rip Red's trying to get peace. Exactly. But other than that, they're very similar in what they're doing. And Rip Red's looking at Henry right now like, I've been where you are and your life is going to be terrible now. No matter what happens, you have sealed your fate here. That's fucked up. Yeah. I just am for the first time realizing how similar Rippert and Henry are during this reread and it's devastating me. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you think Rippert saw himself as similar to Henry at all before Henry betrayed them? That's such a good question. Because I feel like when Rip Red was young, that might have been when humans and rats were at peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that Rip Red only became a spy for the humans later in life. And Henry is like so young. Like I think part of the mistake that he's making here is that he's so young and he doesn't know any better that the rats are going to just use him for this and then probably kill him. Like Rip Red had already lost everything by the time he became a spy. Yes, exactly. And Henry is like throwing everything away here mm-hmm. and being careless about it. I feel like I feel like your friend said, but also he's like, you fucking dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like shaking his little rat head. Yes. So actually, I wanted to talk about someone in the YouTube comments pointed out something in the last episode that I didn't quite catch, but I think it's a really great note. In the last episode, Luxa and Gregor were walking through a tunnel and talking, and Rip Red tells them to shut up. And YouTube user Me the Lonely Wolf pointed out that Rip Red only tells them to shut up right after Luxa says something about how being banished is as good as a death sentence because no one lives long in the Underland alone. Rip Red is living alone in the Underland. I think depending on if you think that Ripred at this point has his little rebel group and is living in the Deadland, because there's this other theory that I'll get to. Mm-hmm. But like Ripred has essentially been banished to live alone and he's been surviving on his own. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he chimes in to tell Luxa and Gregor to shut up about talking about being banished. Because I think that Rip Red might be a little sour about it. Like, he doesn't want to hear about it. He lives it every day. Yeah, so I think that relates to Henry, too, because that's what would await Henry if he had lived. And all these stupid kids have no idea. Rip Red's like, you guys don't know. Yeah. You don't know what, like, what I'm risking for you, first of all, or what I have given up for you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, back to the book. (laughs) Fifty rats fan out around the questers, and Gregor quickly tries to figure out who his allies are in this fight. His dad is incoherent, Boots is tied to Temp's back, Henry is a traitor, and Gregor figures Ares must be too because they're bonded. That leaves him, Luxa, Aurora, and Gox, and he isn't sure about Rip Red. Gregor looks at the rat, and Rip Red winks at him and says, Remember, Gregor, the prophecy calls for only four of the twelve to die. Think we can take them, you and I? Hot. Yes. (laughs) God. Yeah. 
And what a man. Oh my god. And like Gregor is relieved to know that Ripred is on his side. One amazing rat. One amazing rat on his side. Oh, it's such a good like he winks at him yeah. and says this. <laughs> like he like he's he's making a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, this is nothing. I mean, <sighs> later we find out that Ripred and Gregor are both ragers. Mm-hmm. And Ripred says that his limit is that he starts to crack at about 400 to one like he can take on 400 at once yeah i remember his voice when he said i i start to crack at about 400 to one i start to crack at about 400 to one (laughs) yeah exactly like that and um i'm wondering if ripred has any inkling at this point that gregor is a rager i don't think so because when gregor tells him this in the second book ripred is kind of like making fun of him about it yeah i feel like more like rip red respects gregor as a fighter from what he's seen but also he's like this is nothing for me kid yeah yeah rip red's like i can take all of these people but gregor are you with me you know mm-hmm. i also like that he references the prophecy at this point because he's saying the prophecy only calls for four of the twelve to die so he's telling gregor that like odds are good that he's gonna survive which is really interesting because in the last book, Ripred basically tells Gregor, because the prophecy has told Gregor that he's definitely going to die, Ripred just says, no, fuck the prophecy. Right. So is he just trying to make Gregor feel better here? Yeah. Well, I think that Ripred is constantly using the prophecies uh-huh. to get people to do what he wants. Ripred will agree or disagree with the prophecy based on what is helping him at that moment. So like in this instance, Ripred is referencing the prophecy and being like, the prophecy says only four will die because that's giving Gregor confidence to fight. Right. But in the last book, Ripred says, fuck the prophecy in order to give Gregor the courage to fight. Which is so much like how Vicus will only give people the information they need to know. I think Ripred also is very manipulative mm-hmm, at times. Mm-hmm. Definitely with the prophecies. Like, Ripred will just reference the prophecy as it is needed. Like, as it helps him. Or make it come true as it helps him. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a huge silver rat arrives and he has a gold crown jammed over one ear. It's clearly made for a human head, and when Gregor hears Luxa gasp, he guesses it belonged to one of her parents, which is brutal. Yeah. Imagine this king rat shows up, and he's wearing your dead parents' crown. <laughs> it's like it's like if a rat showed up and was wearing Gregor's dad's like baseball cap or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just that, like, it's fucked up because he has power, but it's also just like, wow, he got the bodies of your family and he did something to them. Yeah. It's so interesting that Gorger is like using that crown too. Right. I think it's like an intimidation tactic to be like, it's like a trophy for him that he Uh won this crown and now it's his. Right. I think it's interesting that he's calling himself a king the same way that the humans have royalty. Mm -hmm. But like, I bet that, I mean, maybe, hold on, let me explain what I'm thinking. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. The humans have royalty in Regalia because they came from England where there was royalty. Right. But before the humans showed up, did the rats call their leader a king? Right. I was. I assumed it was kind of like that children's storybook thing where just like every animal has a kingdom and that's how it works. But yeah, it literally could just be like to be respected by the humans as a king, he has to use their word for it and wear their crown. Yeah. And it's like a show of power to be like, I took your king's crown and made myself a king. Right. And now I'm equal to the power that the humans have. Right. It's very symbolic to just to have the crown of a human. It's like more, yeah, it's so much more than just like, I'm the king. It's like, yeah. It's like, I've got a crown to prove it. (laughs) Ripred bows and addresses the rat as King Gorger. Gorger tells Ripred they heard he was dead, and Ripred admits that that was the plan. I had actually totally forgotten this detail, that Ripred was trying to fake his own death. 
But that same YouTube user, Me the Lonely Wolf, hey. also pointed this out in a comment on episode eight of the podcast that you were on when we were talking about why Ripred brought five rats to be killed at the river. Oh, right. Oh, shit. Okay. So this person explained their personal theory about that, and they said that they think at this point in the story, Ripred doesn't have his rebel pack yet. And he's been working under King Gorger in the dungeons, which is how he knew where Gregor's dad was. Mm -hmm. And Ripred is the spy that's been confirming Gregor's dad's status to the humans. Because Vicus tells Gregor, we have spies that confirm that your dad is alive. Right. I believe this. Like, I'm willing to accept that Ripred up until now has been living with the rats and he hasn't yet formed his rebel pack in the deadland that yeah that makes so much sense that like that like that and he brought those people along specifically to use their bodies in part to fake his death yeah that's yeah. fucked up yeah me the lonely wolf posits that yeah gorger ordered ripred to gather a crew and go kill the warrior so ripred purposefully picks five inept rats and stages his own death at the river so no one is looking for him while he leads the questers to the rats land that makes so much sense it makes a lot of sense to me yeah i like that yeah Gorger thanks Ripred for bringing the warrior to him, even though it was Henry's job. And he says about Gregor, I expected so much more. Ripred replies, Oh, do not judge him too quickly. I have found him most delightfully full of surprises. So it seems that Ripred really does uh, admire Gregor's moxie. <laughs> yeah! He's kind of expressing his not quite respect, but positive surprise about <laughs> Gregor's abilities. Ripred walks around the circle of rats, and every time he lifts a paw, the rats near him flinch. <laughs> he calls a few out by name, and one called Razor looks ashamed when Ripred comments on him being on Gorger's side. Ripred nudges Henry forward and tells him to stand with his friends, and Henry ends up tripping over Gorger's tail. The other rats laugh, but Gorger whips his tail out from under Henry and slashes Gox in half. And just like that, she's dead. The rats stop laughing, but then Gorger tells them to go on and they do so. I love this trope. Yeah. <laughs> Every time yeah. when the, the evil villain is like doing something and all of the henchmen are laughing and then something happens and they stop laughing and then the villain leader is like, go on, keep laughing. Yeah. And then they just do. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're uneasy. Uh, yeah. And now they're more uneasy about it. Yeah. I love this trope all the time. It's well used here. Mm -hmm. Also, Rip Gox. Yes. I yeah. Yeah, gone, but also kind of forgotten. Yeah, she's not as iconic as Tick, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like everyone remembers Tick for her brave sacrifice and how she was like Temp's partner Roach right. on the quest. But Gox was kind of just here for a little bit to make them slippers. <laughs> yeah, she came, she made slippers, she died a yeah. good life. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't really have a personality. Not that Tick really had a personality either, but uh -huh. like, we cared more about Tick. Yeah. But yes, R.I.P. Gox. Gorger stretches out on the ground in relaxation, but Gregor notices how tense he is with anger. Gorger asks who will be next to die and suggests killing Boots. Gregor thinks, not while I can stand. And this makes him come to a realization about the prophecy. He thinks he knows what the line about the last who will die is about. Gregor is going to be the last one to die. He's the one the rats want, and he has to decide where he stands. He's the warrior, and the warrior saves people. He takes a running leap, hurdles over King Gorger's back, and takes off down the road back toward the canyon. I love that he just like... He thinks about the prophecy, he thinks all this true, and he's like, oh, I need to sacrifice myself. Okay. And just immediately, like, Gregor. Yeah. Honey. The line is something like, once he knew, it was easy. Yeah. He just immediately is like, this is what needs to happen, and I'm going to be the one to make this happen, and this is the right decision, and there's no hesitation. Yeah. He just knows what he has to do, and he does it. For his baby sister. Yeah. Which is 
very similar to what Luxa said when she was like, this is as good a day to die as any. Right. Like, they're both in a very similar spot of, like, ready to die for what they believe in here. Or, like, ready to die for who they want to protect. Right. Which is, like, devastating because they're, like, 11. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, they're very strong-willed. They're very brave. Gregor hears rats screaming and assumes Luxa, Aurora, and Ripred started attacking them to give Gregor some cover. However, Gregor hopes all the remaining rats are chasing him, because then the others might be able to escape. His flashlight fades as the batteries run out, and he tosses it to the side. He turns on the light in his hard hat, which he was saving as a last resort. As soon as the road lights up in front of him, he realizes how close to the canyon he is, he knows he won't be able to run around the edge because the rats will catch up to him in no time, and he decides he doesn't want to die like that with the rats eating him. Then he thinks of the last lines of the prophecy about looking where he leaps, and he realizes he can save the others by sacrificing himself like this. He puts on a final burst of speed and leaps into the canyon just as the ground gives way beneath his feet. Yeah. Just... The idea that Gregor, as he's running in the dark, is trying to get his hard hat light on, which he has to, like, switch on. Right. Like, I'm just picturing him, like, having to take off the hat and find the switch and put it back on his head. Right. And as he's running, he's thinking through the fact that he won't be able to outrun the rats, and he doesn't want them to catch him because then they'll eat him and he doesn't want to give them that satisfaction. So he just decides like, well, the one thing I can do is just jump into this canyon. So that's what I'm going to do. Right. Like th that he's just choosing a death. He's like, okay, I'm going to die. There's no escape. Yeah. And I'm going out in this particular way. And he's thinking through all of this as he's running. Yeah. And the rats are chasing him. And <sighs> he just yeah. has so much resolve. He's so brave, but it's not really like bravery in the way of like standing up to enemies is brave. It's brave in like a personal sense of him making this decision about sacrificing himself. Right. Right, like it wouldn't really do anything to his friends either way if the rats ate him or if he fell, but he's just like, he just wants to choose the, how he dies. Yeah, he ha just has so much conviction. It's so intense. The fact that he's literally like deciding I'm about to commit suicide. Right. Like I'm about to, yes, like I'm sacrificing myself to save my friends, but I am making the decision to kill myself. Right. Like that's intense. He's 11. Yeah. Oh. Just the fact that he's able to make that decision and think that through and mm -hmm. totally he's about to go through with it. Like he's, he's just so certain. I guess it's, he's, he's always had that just with his refusal to look into the future it's not really that much of a leap. <laughs> oh my god. That's terrible. Uh, so just like not think about the future at all and just mm -hmm. go over the cliff. Yeah, yeah. Similar to how Luxa is like ready to die. He's he's kind of been living like every day is my last. Right. Not looking into the future. He hasn't been thinking about dying all the time, but he is in a similar state of mind. Right. Of like he has a very loose grip on his life in the way that he hasn't been planning for the future in the way that a mentally healthy person would. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's so much. Mm -hmm. And it's not over yet. It's not over. But that is the end of chapter 24. Oh, shit. Okay. That's how it ends is with him leaping. Fuck. Cliffhanger. <laughs> cliff. Cliff. <leaper. laughs> yeah. Just cliff. Just cliff. <laughs> Chapter 25 starts with Gregor falling, and as he falls, he feels blood running down his leg from where a rat got its claw into him just as he leapt. He thinks about how he's falling, just like he did when he first got to the Underland, and now he'll never get a chance to ask Vicus about the currents that made it possible for him to land safely. 
He thinks maybe this is all part of the same dream and he'll wake up in bed before he hits the ground, but he knows better by now. Gregor twists himself around and the light from his hard hat illuminates all the rats who are chasing him, falling into the canyon as the ground gives way. Gregor also sees Henry falling and he thinks that can't be right because according to the prophecy they can't both die. Then he sees Ares diving down and he figures he's coming to save Henry, but then Ares rockets past Henry. Henry calls out for Ares and Gregor slams into something. At first he thinks he's dead, but then he realizes his nose hurts and his mouth is full of fur and Ares just caught him. Yes! Side note, that part where Henry yells Ares, I remembered him yelling Ares, like, several times. Like, just, like, please, and Ares is like, no, but just the once. Just the once. Just the once. Yeah, yeah. that's really intense, because this comes back to what we were saying earlier, is that the whole time, Henry's expecting Ares to catch him. Right, and he didn't, we found out, he didn't even tell Ares he was doing this. He's. Yeah. It's just, like, so second nature to him yeah to trust the bats and always he's always going to be caught that's just like how life works for him is that he's always going to be caught (sighs) and he's never had to think about falling before so this is very much like he's doomed himself by taking Ares for granted yeah yeah exactly gregor looks down and sees rats bursting apart on the rocks below Bad image. Yeah, really brutal. But before Henry hits the bottom, Gregor buries his face in Ares' fur and covers his ears. Suddenly, they're on solid ground, and Luxa has Gregor's dad strapped to Aurora. Temp gets on Ares' back with boots. Ripred appears with three other rats that joined him in the final moments. The book doesn't name him in particular here, but I think one of these rats must be Razor. Yeah. Because we get an update on Razor in one of the later books when we hear about Rip Red's rebel group. Nice. I'm glad that he he had his change of heart. Yeah. Gregor asks Rip Red what he'll do now, and Rip Red just says, Run, boy. Run like the river. Fly you high, Gregor the Overlander. In the next book, we learn from Twitch Tip that run like the river is what the rats say to mean goodbye and good luck instead of fly you high like the humans and bats say. Ripred takes off and so do the bats. They fly over the canyon and into a large tunnel. Gregor begins to shake and he presses his face into Ares's neck. Ares tells him, I did not know, Overlander. I swear to you, I did not know. Gregor says he believes him because if Ares had known about Henry's plan, Gregor wouldn't be alive now. I wonder why Henry didn't get Ares in on the plan. Yeah, I I was even wondering how did he like get around without Ares? Yeah, like how is Henry communicating with the rats enough to set this all up if not with Ares? But yeah, that's such a good point. Just like literally why did he not tell Ares? Was it just because he assumed that Air- that it wouldn't matter what mm-hmm. Ares thought? Did he think Ares would disagree or, like, let the secret out? Yeah, I'm wondering if Henry didn't tell him because he thought Ares would automatically agree or if he thought Ares would disagree. Yeah. And that's why he didn't want to tell him. And it's so interesting that if it is that he thought Ares would disagree, he still ran over the cliff expecting that Ares would catch him. Yeah, well, I think Henry is kind of like thinking that Ares will catch him automatically because that's how bonds work. Uh-huh. Like, no matter what the bond does, you have to save each other's life because that's your vow. Right. So I think even if Henry thought Ares wouldn't agree with him, he would still have to save him. Okay. And that, wow. So then they put Ares on trial in the next book. I forgot that they were literally like... That's in this book. Oh, shit. All right. That's at the end of this book is when Ares is on trial for letting Henry die. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That puts it it so much more into perspective that it's really like, you have to do that. Like, you're not supposed to be able to make that choice. Yeah, Gregor even points out like, well, Henry was evil, so Ares made the right decision. And everyone is like, we don't care, which is really brutal. Yeah. And really brave of Ares to save Gregor instead. Yeah. Also dooming himself to a life of solitude. Exactly. But I think he was probably going to be part of Henry's solitude no matter what. Oh, that's true. Because 
either he supports Henry and is a traitor or he doesn't support Henry and he's still a traitor to Henry, which is right a lot for the humans that's 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 such a messed up position for henry to put him in exactly i think that henry was probably relying on that to some extent Uh like in part manipulating Ares into saving him or like Uh being on his side um which i think is maybe why he didn't tell him about it he just assumed that Ares would have to come with him that makes sense yeah he's like i'm not gonna he's like doesn't still doesn't want to give him the chance to like let something slip but he's also like yeah yeah, Dang. that must be it. I think in the second book too, we get we get more of Ares's perspective on the relationship he had with Henry, and we learn more about how Henry treated Ares and like didn't necessarily respect him all the time. Okay, and treat didn't really treat him as an equal all the time. So I think that part of Henry not telling Ares is that they're not actually proper bonds the way that Luke's and Aurora are like best friends and they comfort each other and they're bonded the way that they're supposed to be bonded. Okay. But Henry picked Ares because he was like big and powerful and Henry doesn't necessarily have a friendship with Ares the same way. That makes sense. Also, that's so sad. Yeah, it is super sad. (laughs) I think maybe like Ares and Henry just didn't know each other Mm -hmm. as well as we assumed they did. Because we hear about human bat bonding from Luxa and the way Luxa talks about Aurora is like Aurora is the one who made her feel safe after her parents died and they're like they do everything together and they've been flying together for a really long time but that's not necessarily true about Henry and Ares. Right that's so true that we just get Luxa's perspective where she's like this is the most important thing in your life and your best friends. Yeah yeah so we like as readers automatically apply that logic to Ares and Henry. And Gregor does the same thing. Like, yeah. He assumes that Ares is going to be on Henry's side, but then it turns out maybe they're not as closely bonded as we think they are yeah. based on what Luxa says. Gregor recalls the last stanza of the prophecy and realizes it was actually about Henry because he decided to stand with the rats and didn't look where he leapt. Ares continues to address Gregor as Overlander instead of his name and tells him that he and Aurora don't know which direction to fly to get back to Regalia. Gregor asks what Luxa thinks they should do, and there's a pause while Ares communicates with Aurora in bat squeaks too high-pitched for the humans to hear. It turns out Luxa is in shock and can't speak, and on top of all that, Aurora has a torn wing that needs mending. Gregor realizes he's in charge and tells Ares to find a safe place to land. They find one on a ledge above a waterfall and they touch down to regroup before continuing. And that's where we're gonna end today's episode. Woo! Picnic. (laughs) Picnic above the waterfall. Luke's is in shock. (laughs) He's gone entirely nonverbal. You know how it is. Yeah, the the part where Gregor's like he realizes he still has to be in charge is like ah. When he realizes that if Luxa's despondent now, like he is the one who's in charge, even though he's also had a pretty rough day. He's had a fucking rough day. (laughs) It's just like Gregor has not felt in charge this whole book. That yeah yeah. Even though he's the warrior and this is his quest and like he kind of recognizes the political power of being the warrior and he he has some power because of that he's never once like felt in control of where the quest is going yeah it's always been like vicus telling them where they're gonna go or rip red or even luke has been like the one who knows what to do Mm -hmm. but now that all of those people are gone gregor is the one person who who's left like even his his dad is there right but his dad is so sick that he can't he can't be the adult here and gregor has to take over this is like the first time that gregor is i mean he's definitely not feeling in control uh, yeah in control of the situation but like he's got to be the one to take charge and he has not yet had to do that right but just like luxa he's been training his whole life oh my god yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, wow. A lot happened these chapters. This is I mean, this is kind of the climax of the book. Right. It, and it does it, it's so fast. 
it feels like. Yeah. Like, a lot happened. Like, they find Gregor's dad, Henry betrays, and then Henry dies immediately after. Yeah, it's just a really quick chain of events. And we kind of get a bit of an emotional climax when, in the next couple chapters, when Gregor and Ares bond. Right. But this is, like, the climax of the quest. Like, this is the action part. Yeah. And the rest is kind of the resolution of the plot here. Yeah. Like, they have Gregor's dad back now. Like, that's... Yeah, that was the main quest. And now it's just getting home and dealing with the ramifications of what happened on the quest. Yeah. Next week, we're going to finish chapter 25 and the rest of the book. Ooh, all right. And there's even some extra bonus content in the back of this paperback. It's called The Afterwords, and it has, like, fun facts about the animals and a little interview with Suzanne Collins. Yo! So I want to cover some of that, too. So if we have time next week, we'll do that. Before we sign off today, I'll give a little reminder that we are doing a Gregor the Overlander 20th anniversary special episode on September 1st, and we need you to write in with your treasured memories of reading the Underland Chronicles. Tell us about your favorite character, your favorite scene, and your favorite book in the series. Make sure it's no more than about 700 words, and we might read it on our special episode in a few weeks. And if you request, we'll do a silly voice. (laughs) (laughs) You can do a silly voice if you want, Nathan. Okay, I'll consider it. Aside from that, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Tumblr at Return to Regalia. Thank you all for listening. And until next week, run like the river. Run like the river.